0: Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Blevins, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Siemens Startup Podcast Series, where we speak with entrepreneurs to gain insight on how they uh, turn their innovative dreams into successful companies. Today, I'm speaking with uh, Brooke Willis, the CEO of ViaSpace, Space, and Jack Blood, the Chief Revenue Officer of ViaSpace. Space. Via is a U.S.-based, venture capital-backed startup company from Cocoa Beach, Florida, Close to the heart of the space travel uh, launches, right? Cape Canaveral. I'm excited to be speaking with you today so our listeners can learn more about VIA and the folks at VIA and what uh, VIA Space is doing. I've been following the, the rocket industry for a while, more as an enthusiast than anything else. But one of the things that intrigued me about VIA Space is the statement I came across VIA Space is a leader in sustainable space access. The company uses the equivalent to 2 million recycled plastic bottles per launch. We'll talk more about the the company, the products, in a couple of minutes. Uh, Let's start by learning more about our guest. So from an introduction perspective, hello, gentlemen, and wonderful to speak with you. I very much appreciate you joining us to, to speak and talk about VIA today. Brent, I'd like to start with you. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about your background and what has brought you to where you are today?
1: Sure Kevin, thank you. I started at the academy and in my view there's only one, that's the one in New York West Point. Of course I was an engineer there because for 200 years you haven't had a choice, you get to be an engineer. Then after serving, you know, in combat arms, I got lucky enough to work on the aerospace side in the military but you know from there I did business school at Chicago and then I got to join business and worked for Kraft. I got to launch Kraft brand into China, was president for the Coca-Cola company for about half of Latin America. And then I ran a small little beer company in Belgium. And being a West Point guy, we're kind of into global domination. And three years later, we were the world's largest beer company. And I renamed it InBev because I wanted to be the in-beverage company, the cool beverage company. So that's where InBev actually came from. And throughout my career, honestly, I have worked with Siemens in a very positive way on the manufacturing side. And the system side. So we have great affinity for Siemens as an enterprise. And what I like about Siemens the most is they don't rest on their laurels. They don't rest on their historic successes. And that's kind of where we are and why it's such a good relationship for us, because, you know, we in, in, intend to be the leader, not just in sustainable space access, but the leader in space access. And we're in possession of the technologies. And we're in possession of the new approaches and possession of the cost leadership position that should facilitate that. So we need to employ speed as a source of competitive advantage. And this is one of the reasons that we love Siemens is because we use Siemens X software throughout our company and uh, that facilitates speed to get to market, to get done what we need to get done. So that's a little bit of the background, but also you know, a long history of working with Siemens in a very positive way. And, and we expect to continue to build on that. That's great to hear.
0: When I was looking at your background, I noticed that you were a CEO at other companies. Are there significant differences in the space launch company versus the other companies that you were with?
1: Well, humbly, I kind of just see myself as an Uber driver for small satellites. I think humility is good, but look at AB InBev, our real competitive advantage was distribution and a low-cost position. And we took our EBITDA margin from 21 to 32%. And in any kind of situation, I don't believe in entrepreneurialism or startups, to be quite honest. I believe in structured entrepreneurialism and disciplined entrepreneurialism. And so what I mean by that is look at it analytically. And if you look at this situation analytically, in terms of the determinants of success number one, do you have a growth industry? Answer here, yes. This is a trillion-dollar sector. Number two, do you have a disruptive play in that industry or technology in that industry? And here, the answer is yes. We're the low-cost producer by about at least 25%, but probably significantly more. And we're the most reliable supplier. In terms of uh, complexity, so we can deliver on what we say, and finally, we've got the sustainability access. And if you think about public companies, you know, ESG is one of the key components that all strategics need. And the fact that we utilize two million recycled thermoplastics per launches, you know, it's not just nice to have these days; it's a must-have for consumers for major institutional investors. And we have that in terms of significant competitive advantage. So we have a disruptive play. That's number two. And the third thing is, do you have the executional capabilities to drive that disruptive play in the growth industry? And the answer is no, we don't yet. Honestly, we don't. And I describe those capabilities as the people. We're not all the way there yet. The processes, we're not all the way there yet. The systems, we're not all the way there yet. The information data and metrics, and we're not all the way there yet. And the culture and environment, and we're not all the way there yet either. So this, again, I'm sorry to come back to Siemens here, Kevin, but this is where Siemens can enable us because we've got to build those executional capabilities to drive this real disruptive play that you know you just don't see that often, but we have this disruptive play that can really be a leader in this trillion-dollar sector. So I would argue, again, back to Siemens, boy, this is a great kind of company to invest time, effort, and influence in because we're going to be, you know, in our view, the, uh, the leader in this very attractive sector. Well, that's great insight. And I love the fact that you're,
0: you're motivated, and most startup companies, or as you said, controlled or structured entrepreneurial (laughs) companies are are very focused and and enthusiastic about what they're doing. I think that's just incredible. Jack, can you
2: uh, share your background and what brought you to where you are today? Similar to Brent, uh, I also have a military background, although I did the correspondence course. (laughs) So uh, I was an aviator. uh, I flew uh, attack helicopters and started off enlisted in the Marine Corps before going to Army flight school. But when I left military active duty service, I, I went into the defense and aerospace industry and program management, and then migrated to uh, business development and eventually my current role.
0: Appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about
2: the company itself.
0: I introduced VIA earlier, but can one of you tell us more about VIA Space and how the company got started?
2: Our genesis is really with Sid Gutierrez. Sid is the first Hispanic, first U.S.-born Hispanic astronaut and the first Hispanic space mission commander. And he was on STS-40 and STS-59, Columbia and Endeavour. On the Endeavour flight, the final instructions from launch control to his crew were via con Dios. That became uh, really the genesis of via space, go to space. Sid, uh, through his uh, involvement in accident investigation committees with some of the uh, shuttle program uh, accidents, was convinced that there needed to be a safer alternative to current rocket technology. The shuttle, of course, uses a, a bipropellant liquid main engine and two solid rocket boosters. As we've learned, unfortunately, there were flaws with both of those. So he was convinced and had knowledge of propulsion and knew that hybrid technology had been explored, but they just had problems with scalability and stability of uh, the burn and regression. And so he, he really set out on a mission to find a safer alternative for access to space and something that was sustainable.
1: And that eventually resulted in via Space. I just interject here, Kevin, hybrid engines have been around for 20 years. They just haven't been figured out and they haven't been solved to really be a viable technology. So what we have is a Vortex hybrid engine that is frankly a game changer and solves all of the historic complexities with hybrid engines where basically they didn't work from a performance standpoint or stability or turbulence standpoint. And it overcomes the issues associated with liquid bipropellants from a safety standpoint because our engines are non-combustible. They can't blow up. So um, you have such lower supply chain costs and logistics costs, uh, storage costs, because you're not storing all these combustible kinds of materials. So the applications of what we can do for insensitive munitions, rocket engines, you name it from a safety standpoint and cost standpoint and insurance standpoint are just huge. And so this, you have to give all credit, I think to, Commander Sid Gutierrez, because he had the passion of safety and just didn't like sitting on top of a bomb every time he went up into space. And he was the genesis and the impetus for what this company is today. That's interesting. And when I think about hybrids,
0: I quite honestly originated in the the automotive industry. When I think about a hybrid, I think about a small combustion engine and then an electric engine. That's augmented for the starts as well as the, the slow moving vehicle, right? But when it comes to hybrid technology and a rocket engine, is it, is it really just the, the multiple types of propellant, or is it, and, and maybe that's what you were not
1: saying, but or can you tell us what that really means? It's really just recycled thermoplastics. And so we could use medical waste, we could use PET bottles or their caps. And so the cost of our fuel. If you think about it, it's just the caps from bottles or E.T bottles, that's a lower low-cost fuel. i used to make this product called vegemite uh, with Kraft, uh, which was made from the dregs of the beer barrels in the very bottom. So my raw material costs for vegemite was essentially nothing. It's the same here. The raw material costs are essentially nothing, given it's recycled thermoplastics, and what drives through those recycled thermoplastic in, in this basically big is liquid oxygen. And, and through our laser ignition system, another patent for our company, we drive that liquid oxygen in a vortex or kind of a, uh, it's almost like a hurricane that goes through there. And as a result, you get this even burn, you get all the reduced turbulence, all the reduced instability, and this even burn that flows through there. And the only emission really is some carbon dioxide, but mostly water vapor. So we're really making a difference for the planet, not just by using recycled thermoplastics as our fuel, making a difference there, but by taking them off the planet with mostly water vapor as
2: emissions. And Kevin, those greenhouse gases in their volume are significantly less than what's being currently used uh, with traditional rocket engines like liquid bipropellants, RP1, or whatever the fuel is. They put off all sorts of metric tons of soot. Carbon, yeah, we have soot. zero black carbon soot emissions and no other contaminants. Yes, there's a, a little bit of carbon dioxide. Yes, there's a little bit of water vapor. Those are carbon, those are greenhouse gases, but significantly less than anything that's being used now for rocket engines. Uh, So it's definitely a step in the right direction, definitely a greener alternative. And and the fact that uh, I think we generate on on rough order magnitudes almost 400 million metric tons of plastics annually, something like 11 million metric tons enter our oceans every year. Almost half of all these plastics are single-use plastics. So the fact that we have a way to convert these into rocket fuel And again, at ambient temperatures and pressures, it's non explosive. It has zero TNT equivalency. It only acts like a high energy rocket fuel when uh, under controlled conditions, when it's pressurized and we have the atomized liquid oxygen that's uh, the liquid oxidizer that's ignited. But it's definitely a very compelling argument uh, for this technology. So, Kevin,
1: I know that you get to ask the questions here, but I want to put out a challenge to all my business partners and the executives at Siemens. And that challenge is, look, this is a company that can make a difference for the planet by a space. Not just from a sustainability standpoint, but from the most efficient access to space and the sustainability point. And so there's today a couple of leaders in the uh, in the small sat launch space or the space piece, some of which have outspoken CEOs, and it's fine to partner with those. Those things pay the bills, but if you want to make a difference with a company that has that shares a lot of the same values that I know Siemens does, if you want to make a difference for the planet and you want to help a company really grow to its full potential and be part of that transformation of a sector and make a difference for the planet at the same time. My challenge to the, all the executives at Siemens is, pick up the phone, let's partner, and let's make something happen.
0: Well, I think that's a great challenge, and I agree with you. The, the sustainability is something that Siemens is very, very interested in, and, and I know even the top executives that I've been exposed to say the exact same thing so I kind of appreciate that. <laughs> so let's, let's shift gears a little bit. We talked about the, the small satellite industry. And I read a quote last year from the founder of a space logistics firm. He said 1,000 satellites were launched in 2020, and that's going to be 10,000 in 2030. Do you think that we will see that happen in the 2030 timeframe? frame?
1: No. I think the number is going to be closer to 100,000 versus 10,000. And each launch is worth about $10 million. And the current pricing is about $20 million per launch. That's the current pricing that the competitors are charging. It'll come down over time to about $10 million. But $10 million per launch times 100,000 launches by 2030 equates to about a trillion dollars. So yes, again, challenge to all of my Siemens colleagues. Yes, we can make a difference from a sustainability standpoint, but if you want to go where the money is and the growth, and this is a trillion dollar sector, and we have the chance if we can enable speed with each other to lead in the sector, it's also a good investment of time and resources because we're going to be the winner in what is going to be a very, very big space. Those are some incredible numbers. Kevin, the the growth in the industry, even the market
2: analysts are having difficulty tracking the dynamics of this. If you just look at the regulatory agencies that approve these satellites, whether it's uh, FCC licenses, and you only look at the mega constellations planned, Starlinks, OneWeb's, Huon, Internet, um, and others, those alone total over 107,000 satellites for approved licenses now. There's definitely going to be explosive growth in LEO and in benefits, uh, quite frankly, for all of mankind with those with what those satellites bring in earth observation, weather forecasting, forestry, fisheries, wildlife management, all of Spice that. By satellites. <laughs>
0: <laughs> those don't exist, do they really? Well, not at all. You talked about the challenge to the Siemens executives, uh, and so I guess I'll, I'll pose a quick question for you to add a little bit to that. Do you have key initiative areas that you're working with today to get you to the point where you can, because you're heading toward a mass production of rockets, right? And and when you when you move in the direction of mass production, it's not the typical rocket industry type of thing where they, they build one and, and launch, uh, you know, every 90 or uh, 90 is even aggressive at this point considering, but Do you have key initiatives that you have today that you're working on that would move you closer to that mass production of of rockets and areas that you think we can help with?
1: We have just moved into our brand new manufacturing facility where we can essentially make one rocket every other day. And our expectation is to launch one a week per launch location. And we have just established recently Brazil operations in Alcantara. And so like Siemens, we expect to be a global company. And in each one of our launch locations, we expect to do one a week because we can't and we want to. And that at 10 million a launch, at least that equates to a lot of revenue. I go back to Clausewitz and the principles of war. And in the combination of two principles here, one maneuver that he articulated, I think this was in 1812, and second offensive. And offensive is uh, seize, retain, and exploit the initiative. And maneuver is essentially... To strike the enemy at time and place when when they're unprepared, I think that's uh, that's the definition of maneuver. It's been a while since since I, I read those principles of war, but if you think about speed, it really is critical. And and Siemens with the NX software that all of our engineers are using really is correlating to speed, and we can model out. Everything in terms of scalability, we can model out everything and we do to get today on the software that your company provides. But then going forward on a manufacturing basis to get to statistical control, we are going to have Siemens and Siemens products embedded throughout our company just because they're the best in the world. And if we're going to be best in the world in terms of what we do, we want to have those same partners with us.
2: In a lot of ways, Kevin, we're really looking at best practices across other industries. Obviously, Brent has a lot of experience with product launches, maybe not the product launches we're attempting now, but we're taking that velocity and that agility that he's used to In those consumer products groups and also things like from the automotive industry, uh, the tenants of best practice in in, uh, industry 4.0, digital twinning, things that the best PLM tools so that we can rapidly accelerate product development and, and decrease the time to market. So we're not really approaching this as a typical aerospace company. We're approaching this as a nimble, agile, velocity startup structured
1: entrepreneurial startup (laughs) using using the principles of war from Clausewitz, in this case, offensive and maneuver. Well put.
0: (laughs) I don't think I could have put it any better. Can you tell us a little bit about your products, the
2: uh, Dauntless and the Star 3D engine? Sure, Kevin. The Star 3D engine and, and really the quick overview of hybrids, we 3D print these fuel grains, And the fuel grain is actually both the fuel and the structure in that it forms the combustion chamber with a carbon overwrap. We use a a liquid oxidizer that gets fed in under a pressurized system and ignited. With that vortex injection, which really is the secret sauce, Brent has tried to convince me the secret sauce is always Thousand Island, uh, but uh, (laughs) in this case, it's our vortex injector. I used to make that product. It was (laughs) was a craft
0: product, right?
2: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But uh, that that allows that consistent regression and that burn to burn ratio. Again, this is non toxic, non hazardous, non explosive. So it really is disrupting the market because you don't have to bunker it. You don't have to have special transportation or storage. You don't have to worry about stray RF or electrostatic discharge. Although it's flammable, plastic is. Uh, it, it, it's not it because it's
1: our fuel. Well, and, and then we wrap six of those engines around essentially a liquid oxygen tube or a steel container, if you will, and a couple of those in three different stages. And we can put a 1,000 kilograms, and we could scale up if we wanted, but we put a 1,000 kilograms of payload, in this case, small sats into low Earth orbit. And we can put other things higher. And we can also put things in precise orbit because we have this infinite flexibility, Kevin. And these six engines, they collectively produce 600 kilonewtons of thrust, not theoretical thrust, 600 kilonewtons of actual thrust. And we could do more if we wanted, but n- let me tell you, from a thrust standpoint, that is enough. Best in class payload, best in class safety, best in class reliability, best in class sustainability, best in class by a long way from a cost standpoint. Aside from that, we've got nothing going for us.
2: Well greater than a 24, 25% the cost of uh, a liquid engine. When you look at the complexity of a liquid engine, we have a third the plumbing, a third the wiring, significantly less engine sensors. So the cost to produce these engines is hundreds of thousands of dollars or on a recurring cost even less versus millions, depending on the size of the liquid uh, liquid engine. So again, the best of both worlds, the, the best performance and dependability and simplicity of a solid that we can throttle, we can start, restart. Accelerate, slow down uh, propulsion by controlling the flow
1: of the liquid oxidizer into the combustion chamber. We've got this throttability aspect that allows us to get to precise locations in a way that uh, nobody else can. So, this is the next question for us, right? Because my belief is companies that fail or individuals that fail to focus, they fail, Kevin. So, we have such a plethora of opportunities in front of us that you know, we really need to focus on, on where we can make the biggest difference with, you know, the best partners in the world. And that's why we have chosen Siemens to be one of our global partners, um, because in our view, they're the best in the world at what they do. So we hope they make the same choice with us. I have a feeling that we
0: will. <laughs> when you think about all of the things that you're doing and, and, and the way you're, reducing all the different aspects of of the engine. I I think it's
1: amazing. I really, really do. Just like all the Siemens senior executives will attest to, CEOs take credit for everything, right? So uh, in this case, even though I had nothing to do with it, I tell you, I'm going to take credit for all those killing dudes. I'm just kidding. But we would never do anything like that. But I give all the credit to our engineers. I mean, this is... Just an unbelievable team that has come up with such breakthrough engineering that, that is going to correlate to a multi-billion dollar company and market. You know, we're just new, right? We're not on the radar screen yet. We're humble and we'll continue to be humble and new always because we want to be the leaders of new space and just transform and disrupt. It, it is a new industry. But it's a new industry played by legacy competitors doing legacy things. So uh, it's going to be fun to uh, to take them down.
2: We, we really feel we're the best uh, space company you probably never heard of. Yeah. Well, something tells me that'll change, and,
0: and we'll hear a lot more about you in the, in the near future. Your website mentions, and you, you alluded to it a minute ago as well, that your engines are easily scalable and can be rapidly produced, typically in what amazed me was typically within one to two days. So is that starting from scratch, or is that more of an, an ability to assemble the components that you have brought together, that you have,
1: have designed and built? The answer is both. So I can go onto to this, the Siemens software now, and in about 15 minutes, model the incremental scalability that I want that is the value and the speed that your company is providing for us today it's unheard of and that modeling although that's theoretical it's just math it is black and white and then because of our production capability we just just make it bigger smaller tweak the the dynamics and the metrics of that 3d engine And we can scale up to any size we want to do $50 million launches, $100 million launches, and bigger things if we chose to do it. But the reason we can do it is, frankly, because of what Siemens is already providing for us today.
2: That plus a lot of intellectual property and trade secrets. Yeah. (laughs) We bring our own
0: value added, but you guys are helping. Some things you could tell us about, but then, of course, you know what that means. You'd have to eliminate us, right? Yeah, and you wouldn't be the first, Kevin. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, quick question. Do you want to announce
1: a an inaugural launch date for uh, Dauntless? We have announced that uh, we're launching uh, next year but that's really just an interim proof point it's just an interim success we already have the customers for that we have even more customers that we've uh, that we've lined up because there's such a limited supply of available space or rideshare space and that's why I say I'm kind of an uber driver for small SATs we just got so much potential to to ride along on these Ubers, but real success is 50 a year per launch site, one a week. We are structured now to deliver against that. We have a number of interim things that we're going to be demonstrating prior to then. And, you know, if we wanted, we could go faster. We just don't need to. So we're here for the long haul. We're here to disrupt and lead in this industry, and we're not going to cut corners. So that's why we're we're taking our sweet time, if you will, to put Dauntless in the air and the first satellites in the air next year. So as far as the wisdom or related
0: information that, that you might have for a budding entrepreneur who's looking to go out and either create a company or has a great idea or or things of that sort, is there... Uh, words of wisdom that you could share with someone who might be considering doing
1: that. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. You'll spend your life raising money or things that take you away from your core business. But it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, I'm old now, Kevin. I work 100 hours a week. When I was at AB InBev, 50 MBAs to delegate stuff to. You're like a strategic allied commander moving stuff around on a big global war table. It was sort of pretty okay, right? This is 100 hours a week. That translates to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. This is dysfunctional. So I would say, honestly, don't do it. But if you are sadomasochistic and you actually do want to do it, Number one, find a growth industry. Number two, find a disruptive play in that industry. And then number three, methodically build your organizational capabilities to drive that disruptive play. Be a structured entrepreneur. Don't be an entrepreneur. Great, great advice. It's interesting because there
0: are so many startup companies out there, right? And I guess they all have something in common. That's really the, the list of my questions before today. I guess the, the last thing I would say is there, is there anything I didn't ask that you would like to,
1: to mention about Viaspace or your products? I would just leave with my phone number is 303-817-3443. <laughs> We're open for business Genuinely, we need Siemens help because it's such a world-class company. We're new. We are a startup in that respect. And I do believe it would be good return on investment, both in terms of difference for the planet and financially as an enterprise. And we're here. And frankly, we need the help of Siemens and, and we will return, we'll return the favor.
2: And along those lines, Kevin, uh, uh, I know Brent uh, has an open invitation to uh, any Siemens executives that are on the Space Coast or visiting to uh, drop in and pay us a visit. We'd be glad to host that and uh, give you the nickel tour. And we'd love to do that. I myself would like to
0: come, but I'm, I'm sure that there's executives who would like to come as well. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you today. I'm excited about what you're doing to bring sustainability to the rocket industry reducing emissions i've not seen much of it in the launch industry other than perhaps reusable rockets right which in itself is significant but to think about 2 million plastic bottles in one launch putting all of that in, all of that into space as opposed to having it on the planet i think that is significant i truly do we wish you and via space all the luck in the world siemens is going to be working with you as we move forward So uh, once again, thank you for being here today.
2: Thank you for having us, Kevin.
0: For our listeners, if you want to know more about Viaspace, and by the way, it's the first time I've ever heard anyone give out their phone number, which is incredible. But if you want to learn more about Viaspace and their products, Star 3D, which is the hybrid rocket engine, or Dauntless, which is their their rocket in general, or you just want to talk with, with either of the gentlemen, feel free to call them. But you can also... Look them up on, on the internet under Via Space, and that com. V-A-Y-A-Space.com. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening today's pot, to today's podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with another amazing company, not only a startup company, but a structured entrepreneurial company. As a reminder, Siemens does offer special packaging and pricing for small and medium-sized and startup companies. Uh, nearly all the areas of our portfolio. If you would like to know more about this, please visit the Siemens website at www.siemens.com slash software for startups, or feel free to uh, jump on any of the the, the Siemens sites and, and there's information there. So thank you for listening to our Siemens Startup Podcast. Please feel free to provide comments uh, on this episode by leaving a review on your favorite podcast Cast site, or feel free to email me at kevin.blevins at Siemens.com. dot com. This is your host, Kevin Blevins. Remember, innovation has no boundaries.